Hi, I'm Shane Robertson, and welcome to the Maysville Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. Here at Maysville, we want to practice loving God, loving others, and serving the world. I trust this sermon will be an encouragement to you as it challenges your heart and strengthens your walk of faith. Now, grab your Bibles as we get ready to hear from the Word of God. Well, I hope you have your Bibles this morning. Let me encourage you to find Acts chapter 21. Acts chapter number 21. And while you're finding your place in Acts chapter 21, I want to give all the praise and glory to God. I stand before you today as a new grandfather. I've had my first grandbaby. To God be the glory. Man. Mama's doing well. Uh, I, have, I am so conflicted today. I, I am so ready to preach. But I haven't held the baby yet because of COVID restrictions. And uh, so she's been released from the hospital. They're getting all packed up and on their way home. Uh, so, Brother Jeff, if this sermon don't make any sense, it's because I'm trying my best to keep my mind off of getting all the kisses off of that little grandbaby that I've been saving up for the past four days. And so you pray for me, and I'd greatly appreciate it. When I think about uh, being a grandfather, I would be lying if I say I wasn't concerned. I'm concerned about the culture and the nation that my grandbaby is going to grow up in. We are upside down, not for the good, but for the bad. What's good is bad, what's bad is good. Even when a preacher preaches a message, it's conflicted and constricted and turned and twisted in such a way that people walk away uh, scratching their heads when the plain text makes such simple sense we should seek no other sense. We ought to just believe the Word of God. But as a born-again child of God today, we're living in a culture today that uh, says this is archaic, this is old, this does not, it's not relevant. And what we're noticing in our culture today is not, it used to be a drift. Now it's an all-out runaway. We are running away from God as quickly as we possibly can. So it doesn't take much for born-again children of God to look different than the world. Amen? doesn't take much at all. Uh, but what's confusing in our culture today is clearly understanding and discerning properly the will of God for your life. That's the challenge today. What, what is the will of God for my life? The greater conflict comes in when you have Christians who love Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and Lord conflict with you about the will of God in your life. And that's what we're going to see in the text today. Uh, the title of the sermon is Discerning the Will of God. It reminds me of a story I heard of a preacher who was trying to preach on holiness, and he was trying to teach his congregation how important holy living really is. And he says holy living is essential, is essential in respect to after you get saved, God changes you, and you becoming more like Jesus Christ produces this holiness it, that's from inside of you that comes outside of you as you become more and more into the image of Christ. And he thought that it would be really good to illustrate this at the beginning of the sermon. So he set up a table in front of the pulpit, and he got four mason jars. And in those four mason jars, the first one he put alcohol. In the second one, uh, he put uh, chocolate. In the third one, he put cigarette smoke. And in the fourth one, he put dirt. And then he took a worm, and he put a worm in each one of those different mason jars. And then he went to preaching his message. 
At the end of the message, again, trying to communicate holiness to his congregation, he looked at the jars and he said, Now I want you to notice what happened during the course of my sermon while I preached to you. Look what happened to these worms. And he went over to the first worm that had the alcohol in it, and that worm was dead as a hammer. He pointed to the second one that had the chocolate in it, and that worm was dead as a hammer. And he pointed to the third jar there where it had the cigarette smoke, and that worm too had died. And then he looked at the worm in the fourth jar with the clean dirt, and he said, see, here in this good, clean dirt, you have a worm that's alive. He didn't have all these things in it. Here's a worm that lived in this clean dirt. There's an application, he said, for all of us here at church today. Does anybody know what that application is? And immediately, a little old lady raised her hand in the back of the church. She said, ooh, 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 I know, preacher, I know. He said, yes, Miss Smith, tell us, what does this illustration show us? says, it's quite simple. If you drink, if you eat a lot of chocolate, and you smoke a lot of cigarettes, you will not get worms. <laughs> we miss it today. We miss it. I don't want you to miss what the Holy Spirit's going to say to you today. So let's look at verse number 1, Acts chapter 21. We'll read all the way down to verse number 15. I encourage you, please, if you have your Bibles, please follow along with me. I'm reading from the New King James this morning. Uh, chapter 21, beginning in verse number 1, the Bible says, Now it came to pass that when we had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Now let me stop right there and say this parenthetically for our guests who are not walking with us week by week. Here in this text, we need to clearly understand that Luke wrote this, this, this book. He wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Luke. Luke is talking about Paul. But he's not only talking about Paul, he's talking about Paul and everybody that's with him. That's the we. It's Luke and Paul and all, everybody else that's with him on this third missionary journey. Now, the third missionary journey that Paul was on consisted of going back to the churches that he had established and through those churches collecting an offering to bring it back to Jerusalem. And the reason why he was doing that is he was wanting to show the unity of the church. I believe the church ought to be unified. And not just locally, but universally. That, this is why we're Southern Baptists. We're Southern Baptists because we believe in the cooperative program. What we can do together is greater than what we can do independently. And so we have the largest mission force on the planet. And at any moment, at any time, can bring those missionaries home back to safety if they fall into any type of dangerous type of situation where they need a quick escape. And what a joy it is to be able to participate in that. There's unity there. And so Paul wanted there to be unity among the churches, the Jewish churches and the Gentile churches. And the greatest form of unity in the first century was to see the Gentile churches helping the poor Jerusalem churches. And so Paul went to all these Gentile churches to collect a special offering to bring it back to Jerusalem to help the poor. And so we find that's where they're headed. And the Bible says that here they're coming down past Miletus, and they're coming down to Kos. By the way, Kos, just so you'll know, just is just parenthetical thought, Kos is where uh, Hippocrates was born. The Hippocrates. That's where we get the Hippocratic Oath. 
He is the father of modern medicine. He was born right there in Kos. And so we, we just kind of see this itinerary flowing from Luke. He's saying, here's just kind of what we did. Then he said they came to Rhodes. Rhodes, the island of Rhodes, is where one of the seven wonders of the world were located. The word Rhodes actually gives us the idea of roses. They were known to produce beautiful roses. But one of the seven wonders of the world, a, a gold uh, colossa or a polis statue was straddling two ports there. And around 255 B.C., an earthquake destroyed it, but it was one of the seven wonders of the world. Ships would come between the legs of that thing as they entered into Rhodes. It was an amazing, amazing place. And Luke says, the following day they came there. And then they went to Parta. And, verse 2, notice this, finding a ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had, when we, excuse me, when we had straight to Cyprus, we passed it on the left and sailed to Syria and then landed in Tyree. So from, from Parta to Tyree, that journey right there is about a 400-mile trip. So what Luke is trying to communicate is that it took us several weeks to get from point A to point B to get to where we are. And he says, when we got to Tyree, there the ship was unloaded from her cargo. And the Bible says, verse 4, finding disciples, we stayed there seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. Now, if you have your pens, I would underline that. We're going to come back to it here in just a few moments. They said, through the Spirit, and it should be capitalized, it should be capitalized in your text, through the Spirit, not to go up to Jerusalem. Verse 5. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way, and they all accompanied us with wives and children till we were all out of the city, and we walked and we knelt down on the shore, and then we prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they returned home. And when we had finished our voyage to Tyre, we came to Pormaeus, greeted the brethren there, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we, who were Paul's companion, departed to Caesarea, and entered into the house of Philippi, the evangelist, who was one of the seven. And, he, and we stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Jerusalem. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt, and he bound his hands and his feet. And he said, Thus says the Holy Spirit. Well, I'd underline that. We're about to come back to it. So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now when we heard these things, both we, that's Luke, and everybody else that's with Paul, and those from that place pleaded with him, that's Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. Verse 13, Then Paul answered, Why do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. And after those days, we packed and we went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us, 
and brought with them certain uh, Manison, a Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His Word. So you see what's happening here. You see in this text, Paul is trying to get to Jerusalem. He stops, if you would, here in Tyre. And as he stops in Tyre and they unload the cargo ship, he meets up with some of these disciples that love Jesus with all their heart. And the Bible tells us that through the Spirit, they tell him, don't go to Jerusalem. Paul thinks nothing of it. They unload the ship, they continue their journey, they get over to Caesarea Philippi and enter into the house of Philip. Philip has these daughters that are evan- are, are um, uh, a prophetess, if you will, and we, the Bible doesn't say that they prophesied against him going. It just gives them the title that they're truth-tellers. They tell the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But the Bible says that there is a prophet by the name of Agabus that comes down from Jerusalem, where Paul is going, enters into the house of Philip, takes Paul's belt, binds it around his hands and feet, and looks at Paul and says, whoever owns this belt, this is what you're going to look like. Luke is so disturbed by this, and the people are so disturbed, because Agabus said in his speech, in verse number 11... He said, this is from the Holy Spirit. And so Luke and the team says, maybe we shouldn't go. Death awaits you in Jerusalem, Paul. Surely God does not want you to die. Surely God doesn't want to take you there into Jerusalem just to die. we got to rethink this. Maybe this is not God's will. Maybe this is not the will of God. Paul replies by saying, you're killing me, man. You're weeping and crying. My heart, Paul says, is breaking. You are breaking my heart. Do you not know that I am ready? I'm ready to go to Jerusalem. I'm ready for them to take my belt and bind me. I'm even ready to die for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop me. I am ready to die for Jesus. I will accomplish the will of God, Paul says. To which Luke and the team respond, and so they said, they said, look, we're not saying anymore the Lord's will be done. We're not saying the Holy Spirit says not go. That's what he's talking about here. We're not saying anymore we're stopping. The Holy Spirit said don't go. We're not saying that anymore. All we're saying now is the Lord's will be done. And the Bible says they made their way to Jerusalem. So here's here's the question. How can we discern the will of God when Christians disagree with the will of God in your life? How do you discern that? I think there are three things here we can discern from this passage of Scripture. There are three things I really believe that in a culture that we're living in today that we can know, we can absolutely know what the will of God is for our life as a born-again child of God even if the people around us whom we love and who are Christians, even them, if they disagree with us and say, that can't be God's will for you. That can't be God's will for you. How how do you discern that? Let me give you these three. I hope you'll get a blessing by it. Number one, the first one is this. We've got to first of all recognize that bad advice, 
delivered as God's will, is still bad advice. Now we find this in verses 1 through 6. In particular, it's found in verse number 4. Let me call your attention to verse number 4 again. The Bible says, And finding disciples... Now, let's stop right there. The word disciples here are Jesus' followers. These are people that have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. They have received Jesus Christ as their Savior. They've been baptized in faith. And they are followers of Jesus Christ. They are disciples of the Messiah. They know Jesus. They love Jesus. And the Bible says, Because they know Jesus... Because they loved Jesus, and because Paul had stayed with them seven days, you know Paul didn't stay with them seven days and keep his mouth shut. You know that he talked and he, and he preached and he taught them. And he taught them many things about their discipleship and growing up in Jesus Christ. So that so much the soul that they, that's talking about the disciples, told Paul in verse number 4, look at this, through the Spirit not to go up to Jerusalem. It's so vitally important that we see this through the Spirit means by the Spirit of prophecy. They are not saying that it is the will of God for Paul not to go. What they're doing is they are giving advice only knowing part of the story. They only know part of the story. And the part of the story that they know is that Paul's going to die. They've heard the chatter. They're close enough in Tyree. They're close enough to hear that they're looking for Paul. They want Paul. And as soon as they see him, they're going to get him. And so in knowing this in part and not knowing the whole thing, they quickly run to Paul and say, Look, Paul, you cannot go to Jerusalem. And so here we see these individuals responding on only what they knew. They only knew in part what was happening on Paul's journey. And so with only knowing in part, what I'm saying is not knowing the context of what Paul is doing in his life, not knowing the context of Paul's calling, not knowing the context of Paul's ministry, they made a judgment call and invoked the Spirit of God into it and not knowing what the truth of the matter is, and it came out to be horrible advice. You ever had that happen in your life? You ever had people come to you and say that? So, man, that, that just cannot be the will of God. And they don't know the whole story. So how do, you, how do you know this? How do you discern bad advice from God's will? Because what if God is using somebody to come to you and say, Hey, look, you, you don't need to do that. Because does the Holy Spirit do that? Can the Holy Spirit do that? Absolutely. Well, how do you know the difference? How can you tell the difference when someone is giving you bad advice and yet the Holy Spirit is speaking through someone? I believe there's two ways you can do it very quickly. Number one, here's the first way, is you've got to remember God's past calling. Remember God's past calling. If you want to journey with me, let me take you back to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we see where God called Paul. When God called Paul, it was a radical event. I mean, he literally knocked Paul off his horse. Paul got saved. He was blind. He had to be escorted uh, to other areas. Uh, and, and we know that God is, is using Paul and is, is growing Paul. And finally, in chapter number 9, in verse number 10, we see God's call on Ananias 
to baptize Paul. Uh, I love it what the Bible says. Notice what the Bible says in verse number 10 of Acts chapter 9. Now, there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus. For behold, he is praying. Now remember, before Paul changed his name, he was known as Saul. And Saul was a violent man. Verse 12. The Bible says, In a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Here is, here is a 21st century Christian if I've ever seen one. You talk about relevance. This, is, this would be me. I would have this same response. Ananias said, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, how much, he is har how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem, and how he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who come in your name. And I said, you got the wrong man, God. You can't save him. He's a tyrant. He is awful. He's dragging people by their head to jail. Christians. Verse 15. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. If you're going to discern the will of God, you've got to first and foremost remember God's past calling. Paul had to remember the fact that when God called him, God called him to Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel. And if he was going to Israel, he had to go to Jerusalem. And the Bible is very clear in understanding Paul's calling. Paul's calling, did you see it there, was to show the glory of God. And the Bible tells us that his calling was to suffer for the sake of God. If you want to know what God's will is for your life, if you want to be able to discern it, you first of all got to remember God's past calling. Number two, there's a second thing. But you also have to remember God's specific mission. Remember God's specific mission. What do you mean? Look at verse number 20, Acts chapter 20, if you don't mind. Acts chapter 20, verse number 24. We see the specific mission. Paul is going to speak from his own lips. The Bible tells us here in the text, Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 24, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to me, so that I might finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul's specific ministry was to testify to the grace of God, to the Gentiles, to kings, and to Israel, which meant he had to go into Jerusalem. He had to go share the gospel. He had to go, even if it meant dying. He had to remember that bad advice delivered as God's will is still bad advice. I want to tell you, remember these two things. Number one, the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Father's calling. He'll never do it. 
The Holy Spirit will never contradict God's calling on your life. Number two, the second thing I want you to remember is the Holy Spirit will never contradict the Father's mission. He'll never contradict the Father's mission. And so we have to ask ourselves by way of application, what is our calling? What is our calling? There is a general calling at best when you describe what God's calling us to do. God is calling us to be saved. God is calling us to receive Christ as Savior. That is the call of God. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. It's the will of God that everyone have everlasting life. But only those who respond to the gospel will have everlasting life. And so the cry of Paul's heart was to know his calling, was to preach the gospel and that he ought to be saved, and he was saved. And that's our calling today too. Our calling is to be saved. So my question to you today is this. If you were to die today, will you be saved from the penalty of sin, which is hell, death and hell? Will you be saved from that? So I hope so, then you're not saved. You say, I think so, you're not saved. I'm telling you, if you don't know 100% that if you were to die today that you'd go to heaven, you're lost, you're dying, and you're on your way to hell. And I'm coming to you today with a broken heart and a calling upon my own life specifically to preach the gospel to say, God doesn't want you to go to hell. He's calling you into the family. That's our calling. What's our mission? For those of us that have been saved, our mission is quite simply easy. It's this, the Great Commission. That is our mission. Our mission is the Great Commission. That we go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In essence, we say it here like this at Maysville, love God, love others, and serve the world. That is our mission. We're called to be saved, and we're called to be on mission to make disciples, and the Holy Spirit will never contradict that. So if confusion sets in, you've got to recognize that as being the enemy. Because God will not bring confusion. He's not the author of confusion. The devil is the author of confusion. And so it ought to be clear, we ought to ask ourselves the question in regards to the uh, uh, advice of others when they invoke the will of God. Oh, God, the Holy Spirit said when they invoke the Holy Spirit. We've got to ask ourselves the question, is this, is this God's will or is this just bad advice? If it contradicts our calling, if it contradicts your calling to be saved, if it contradicts your mission to be on mission with God, it's not of God. Bad advice delivered as God's will is still bad advice. Number two, here's the second one very quickly. The second thing I want you to notice is this. Bad news proclaimed as God's will does not cancel out God's will. Bad news proclaimed as God's will will not cancel God's will. Man, we love to get good news. We hate to get bad news. Um, And it seems like on the back of good news is always bad news. It reminds me of that old old, uh, 
uh, uh, hee-haw. I remember old Archie Campbell uh, did that little skit, you know, where he was the barber and he would always tell these funny stories. And one day he's cutting this guy's hair and he said, man, he said, you hear about the bad news that happened to me? He said, no, I, I didn't hear about that bad news. He said, what happened? He said, well, he said, my uncle died, my great uncle died, and he left me $50,000. He said, your great-uncle died, left you $50,000. He said, yeah, it's bad news, man. My great-uncle died. That's bad news. The good news is he made me 50, left me $50,000. He says, man, that is good news. Then Archie said, no, really, that's bad news. He said, the guy in the chair said, well, why is that bad news? He said, because the IRS took over, and they took half of it. He said, man, that's bad news. He says, no, that's, that's good news. I had enough money to buy me an airplane. He said, well, that's good news. He said, no, it's bad news. He said, I was flying that airplane. I turned one of these things upside down, and I fell out of the airplane. He said, man, that's bad news. He said, no, it's good news. When I finally came to and looked up, I noticed a great big haystack there on the ground. He said, oh, man, that's good news. He said, no, that's bad news. I looked a little closer, and there was a porch, uh, pitchfork sticking right out of it. He said, man, that's, that's bad news. He said, no, it's good news. I, I missed the pitchfork. He said, man, that's good news. He said, no, it's bad news. He said, why is it bad news? He said, I missed the haystack too. <laughs> we all like good news, but it always comes on the, on the preference of bad news. Here we find the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ getting to Jerusalem, but on the back of that is the bad news. Here comes Agabus and says, the Holy Spirit brought me down here to say this. Where's your belt, Paul? Paul takes his belt off and hands it to Agabus, and Agabus ties his hands and feet and says, Whoever is the owner of this belt, this is you. That's bad news. And when you look at this and you say, man, that is bad news. We've got to remember as being a born-again child of God doesn't mean we're always going to get good news. We get bad news too. And bad news hurts, and bad news is sorrowful, and bad news, man, it really hurts us. But we've got to remember, bad news proclaimed as God's will does not cancel God's will. I want you to notice that it wasn't Agabus that was proclaiming it in bad news. Agabus was just saying, here's what the Holy Spirit's doing. It was Luke and the rest of the crew, when they heard this, they thought, oh man, this is bad news. We just heard in Tyree, they said, don't go there. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, don't go. Paul, let's not go. And the Bible says, look at verse 12. The Bible says, now when we heard these things, both we and those from the place pleaded with him, that's Paul, not to go to Jerusalem. The word pleaded there is where we get our English word beg. They're on their hands and knees begging Paul, don't go. Please don't go. Oh, you're going to die if you go. Don't go. How do we stay focused? on God's will in the midst of that kind of bad news. You ever got bad news in your life? I can remember just like it was yesterday. I remember God calling me into ministry. I was so excited. So tell my family, I got some good news. Good news. God's called me into ministry. And one dear sweet family member with Jesus now. Love her so very much. She looked at me and she said, you want to be a, a preacher? You'll starve to death. That'd be true. Could have, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of starving preachers out there. Thank God I've never been one of them. That's bad news to me. And I, I could have allowed for that to cancel 
the will of God in my life. As a matter of fact, I know some people that has allowed that. I've, I've known some people that God has called to ministry, and, and some might even be here at this in, in church here, maybe members here. God's called you into ministry, and you have got some bad news from somebody, and you said, no, I, I'm not, I'm not going to do it, and you've canceled God's will in your life. How do you stay focused? on God's will in the midst of bad news. Let me give you two things very quickly. I've got to hurry. Number one, you've got to understand the end game. Understand the end game. If you want to focus on God's will for your life in the midst of bad news, understand the end game. Uh, what's the end game? Romans chapter 8, verse 23. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. That's the end. Whatever you do as a child of God will work out for the glory of God even if it's bad, even if it's hard, even if it's difficult, even if tragedy happens in your life, even if a pandemic comes and tries to wipe out your congregation. All things work together for good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. So look, I'm not looking at the short term. I'm looking at the long term. I'm looking at greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I'm about to have a fit. Thank God for the glory of God. I'm a winner either way. I am. I'm a witness thing. All right. Bless God. I got so much I want to say. Number two. Understand the end game. Here's the second one. Be faithful in the present. Be faithful in the present. If you want to be focused on God's will in the midst of bad news, then you have got to be faithful in the present. Jesus suffered the most awful suffering on Calvary's cross. He stayed focused. You say, well, he's God. Well, can I give you an Old Testament person? Job. Job lost it all. You talk about somebody that got some bad news. Job got some awful news. Job lost everything that he had. He lost his children. He lost his wealth. He lost his livestock. He lost his crops. He lost his health. He even lost his relationship with his wife. He could not practice. If mom ain't happy, nobody happy. He could, nothing worked. Nothing worked. He lost everything. And what did Job do? Did Job curse God? No, he had people tell him to. Boy, there's some good advice. I'm going to tell you what you need to do, Job. You've got such a miserable life. You ought to just curse God and die. Well, that's bad. Isn't that great news? Those are his friends. Job says this in Job chapter 1, verse 20. You can write it down. Don't, we won't turn there, but listen to what he says. He says, at this, Job got up and he tore his robe and he shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. He just lost everything. And yet he said, I'm going to praise the Lord today. Stay faithful in the present. 
Just because things ain't going the way you think they need to go doesn't mean you need to pull up stakes and leave. Just because things didn't turn out the way you thought they need to turn out doesn't mean you need to disown or turn around or run away or go somewhere else or leave or be a part of something different. Uh, if you ain't getting your itch scratched, you ought to thank God that you got a preacher and in a place and got people around your life that love you enough to tell you the truth. It's not going to give you news in such a way that will cancel the will of God. Bad news proclaimed as God's will does not cancel the will of God. And then number three, my time is up. Here's the third one. A broken heart cannot stop us from accomplishing God's will. A broken heart cannot stop us from accompanying God's will. This is verses 13 through 16. Specifically in verse 13 and 14. You notice what the Scripture says. The Bible says, Then Paul said, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready, not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. And so when he had said this, so, so when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying, The will of the Lord be done. A broken heart cannot stop us from accomplishing God's will. There are three things that, I, that we see here in closing that I really think are important to point out. Number one, the first one I want you to notice is words hurt. You see it there? Words hurt. Paul, Paul said, why are you crying? You're breaking my heart, man. Your words are hurting me. This is the will of God for my life. I remember when God knocked me off that horse. I remember when God told me I was going to be a witness to the... To, to, to the Gentiles and also to kings and also to Israel. I, I know God's calling on my life. And you're breaking my heart by telling me not to go. Brothers and sisters, you know you've got the words to heal or you've got the words to hurt. Uh, I, uh, Proverbs chapter 15. Uh, the Bible has got... Uh, wonderful Proverbs that talk about in relationship to our tongue. In Proverbs chapter number 15, I, I thought about this late and uh, highlighted in my Bible. But Proverbs 15, 4 says this, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perseverance, or, or per, excuse me, but, per, uh, but perversiveness in it breaks the spirit. The Bible says the Wholesome tongue. That word wholesome is a Hebrew word where we get the term healing. He's saying that your tongue, the language that comes out of your mouth, you have the properties to heal a spirit of, of hurt. Or, or, the Bible says, you have the ability to be perverted. Now, when we think about the word pervert, we think about... Uh, in the sexual manner. He's talking about a deterrence away from healing to hurt. He says, but you, your tongue also could be used in such a way that it breaks someone's spirit. That it causes them to, to be hurt even more. Probably one of the most difficult things to see as a pastor is when Christians hurt other Christians. 
Why? Because I don't care what you learn. You know that little saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me? That's a lie. Paul says it right here, words hurt. Number two, I want you to notice the second thing he says here. Number two, death happens. Death happens. He says, I'm ready not only to be bound, but I'm also ready to die. Death happens. Paul knew that just because he was a Christian, he, he, he knew he still was going to die. You're still going to die. I got a phone call this week, and I was talking to an individual about a family member that had died. This family member were in their 90s and said the family does not know what to do because they never, even into their 90s, they never sat down and talked about funerals, death, or anything. Never talked about it. Brothers and sisters, death happens. I am so grateful for Grandma Fogle. Grandma Fogle knew she was going to die. And we took care of Grandma Fogle for so many years. Oh, my goodness. Eight years in our home. And, and then uh, thank God for Brighter Mornings who took care of her all those years. But, but I'm telling you, Grandma Fogle, as a born-again child of God, as a Christian, she went ahead and had her house in order. She said, you know, I'm not going to live forever. I'm going to die. So she went out there, and she bought uh, her a grave. Uh, she bought her, uh, her funeral. She paid for all of that, took care of that. And I was so grateful to, to be able to look and to see how she prepared knowing that as a Christian, even death's going to happen. Now, there was a season in our life where I told her, I said, Grandma, I don't think heaven wants you and hell's afraid of you. You're going to live forever on this earth, lady. Becky, her daughter, asked her, said, uh, Mom, are you going to live to be 100? She said, I hope not. Death happens. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die, and after that, the judgment. You have an appointment with death. And then number three, here's the third one. Obedience persists. Verse 15, did you see what happened there? The Bible says, and after those days we packed up, or we packed and we went up to Jerusalem. Paul practiced obedience. The Bible tells us over in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 22, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of a New Testament principle. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Saul was told to obey God and totally annihilate the Amalekites. He didn't do it. Samuel came before him and said, You did not do what God told you to do. You knew what God had said. You knew what God had told you. You knew the will of God in your life, and you did not do it. You disobeyed. And God says, Therefore, because you disobeyed, I can't make you king. You're, you're no longer king. And then what happened, Saul just tried to defend himself, and all Samuel said was, you've got to remember this. Saul, obedience is better than your sacrifice. Boy, that's a New Testament principle for us today. Your obedience to God is better than sacrifice. What are you sacrificing before God, thinking that you're appealing Him or pleasing Him, when really what He wants is your obedience? Is it, is it in your giving? Is it, is it in a rite, a passage, a baptism? Is it, what is it in your life? When God, what He really wants is for you to be obedient and trust Him as Savior. Could we bow for prayer? With our heads bowed this morning, 
knowing that these last three points are true. Words hurt. Death happens. Obedience persists. My question to you is just simply this. Who's hurt you to cause you to run away from God? Are you going to live your entire life and just let death happen on you? Are you going to die with your bitterness? Or are you going to obey God and get right with Him? If you're here today and you were challenged by the question of your eternity, where are you going to go when you die? And you said, I just, I think, I hope, I'm not sure, preacher. From your heart to God's heart, if that's you, will you say something like this to the Lord today? Would you say, Lord Jesus? That's right. Would you say it just in the quietness of your heart? You don't have to say it out loud. Would you say, Lord Jesus? I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that you are the Messiah. Today I want to accomplish the will of God in my life. I repent of my sin. And I trust Jesus as my Savior. Thank you for saving me. I will live unashamed. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. As a pastor, my primary concern is your eternity. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, that you can know where you will spend eternity. I would love to connect with you and talk more about your walk of faith. You can email and find more information about the ministry of Maysville Baptist Church on our website. Just type maysvillebaptist.net in your search engine. Also, you can support this ministry through our website or by mailing your gift to 8875 Highway 82 Spur Road, Maysville, Georgia, 30558. God bless you, and I hope you tune in next week where, once again, we turn our hearts towards the Word of God.